Welcome again to North Roanoke. We're so glad you're here. We have just concluded a series through the Minor Prophets. And we skipped the book of Jonah because we're going to head back to the book of Jonah beginning in September. But over the next three, actually four weeks, because there will be a, a gap Sunday in there where Pastor Rick's going to share some updates from the summer on all the good things God has been doing in our student ministry and in our children's ministry at the end of August. But in three of the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the church, what it is to be the church. Because as we saw in the Minor Prophets, God is calling for a temple of His holy presence. And we see in the New Testament that we are the ones who are to be that temple of His holy presence. And until we get our identity right, until we get who we're supposed to be right, then the other things that follow, the sharing of the gospel and the Great Commission, Uh, don't follow as well as they otherwise would. So identity precedes action. It's fundamental to our action as the body of Christ. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Would you join me in reading that text together? We're going to begin in verse 11 of chapter 2. I don't know how you remember where Ephesians is, but it's Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, my mother taught me to remember GE Power Company. G-E-P-C. I don't know if that helps, but it's letter E. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands... Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, with uh, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier dividing of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity and He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we pray that you would grant that your Spirit would be especially present among us, that we would be the holy place of God's habitation that you would help us to understand what you have said about your church in your word, and that your spirit, not just the preacher, but your spirit would 
would raise within our heart and mind areas of application and implication for our personal lives and for our lives together as your body and your bride and your family. God, speak in these next few moments. I ask for your glory and the glory of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This series I've titled Be the Church, and I believe Paul gives us in this text four things that we should do to be the church. But in the way of introduction, I, I want to share with you a, a summary of a short story. You remember the short story, The Ugly Duckling, by Hans Christian Andersen. It's a story of mistaken identity. A, a beautiful swan, born into a family of ducks, supposes himself to be a very ugly duck until he encounters what? Other swans looks into the mirror of the water and discovers that he too is a beautiful swan rather than an ugly duck. And from that day forward, what happens to this ugly ducking, duckling or this beautiful swan? His perspective and his behavior fundamentally changes because he has a new understanding of his identity. The same is true in the church. Our activity flows from who we are. If we're just a gathering of ugly sinners with no hope of change or transformation until Christ returns, our lives will be like that of the ugly duckling, dominated by shame, lack of fulfillment, and little joy. But that is not the church that God is and has and is building through the blood of His Son. In Ephesians 2, Paul shows us we should be grateful and eager for the privilege of being the church that He's made us to be and He's called us to be. In verses 1-10, through 10, in the way of introduction, Paul reminds us that we were spiritually dead, verse 2, following Satan, verse 2. We were by nature children of wrath, verse 3. But we have been recreated in Christ Jesus, in whom God has made us alive, verse 5. Raised us, verse 6. Seated us in the heavenly realms, verse 6. And in verse 10, he's done all this so that we can do the good work that he's prepared beforehand for us to do. And then in verse 11 we see this text about the people of God and what God has done to make himself a new people in his flesh, in himself, through the cross, through his blood. You see, Paul is showing us that to do the work God has for us, we first got to understand who God has made us to be. We are to be his new creation reflecting his divine character. A commentator named Snodgrass says this, this is perhaps the most significant ecclesiological text in the New Testament. Now, for some of you this morning, you said, what does ecclesiological mean? And that's okay. It just means of the church. If you're looking for a Bible passage that informs us about the church, this is among the most significant passages we would find in the New Testament about what God has called us to be as his church. So North Roanoke, for us to be the church, I believe Paul is showing us these four things. First, we must constantly remember the hopelessness of our former separation from Christ. Second, we must embrace our new citizenship in Christ. Thirdly, we must be founded upon Christ according to the scriptures. And finally, we must keep on becoming the holy sanctuary of God's presence that we already are in Christ. First, we must constantly remember the hopelessness of our former separation from Christ. In verses 11 and 12, Paul commands us, it's a command in verse 11, keep on remembering that in our flesh 
We were outsiders to the saving purposes of God and his people. We were marked off, separated from those who were of the circumcision of the flesh, who were signifying for us the coming of Christ who would circumcise not the flesh, but our hearts. How bad was it that we were separated from the people of God? Well, he goes on and explains it in verse 12. We were separate from Christ himself, the anointed king of Israel. And Christ, as we know from 1 John, is everlasting life. So we were separated from the king of glory who alone can save. There's no salvation outside of Christ. We were separated from the domain of God's salvation. But secondly, we were excluded and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. O'Brien says this, being separated from Israel was a serious disadvantage because it meant being outside of the sphere of God's electing grace and isolated from any covenant relationship with Him. There was no covenant apart from Israel who gets us to Christ, who extends to us the new covenant. And as a result, we were strangers or foreigners to the covenants of promise, those given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel and David. Our exclusion from the community of God's people meant we had no share in the covenants which would lead to our salvation and our resurrection. We had no hope until Jesus came, which is exactly what Paul concludes. Because we were separate from Christ, alienated from Israel, outside of the covenants of God, we were hopeless. We were without hope. Now there's a world out there that feels this utter hopelessness of their alienation from God. And the reason that we gather and the reason that we ask God to make us into his people in pursuit of his holy presence is not only for our good, but also for the good of the nations who still linger in a world that is devoid of hope. I think I've shared with you this in the past, but I remember working for the dean of the College of Science at Virginia Tech, and we had a five-hour flight to California, and I was sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. So here you've got peon brain. up next to theoretical physicist, and the theoretical physicist tells me the universe definitely had a beginning. Matter is not eternal. Hello, that's what Genesis 1 says. Why don't you believe the gospel? Well, I don't believe the gospel. Well, well, what are you doing? Why are you pursuing this intellectual uh, adventure? And this is what his response was. Daniel, I know what you're driving at. I just have to hope that there's a reason to have hope. Aren't you glad that God did not leave us in a state of just hoping to have hope, but that he has given us himself as our hope? There's plenty of false hope out there to go around. We were without hope because fundamentally, verse 12, we were without God in the world. O'Brien says this, we were God forsaken. There was no relationship with the true living God of the universe. So why does God call on us, North Roanoke Baptist Church, to remember that? Why does he ask us to remember who we are? I believe it's because he wants us to remember or to appreciate more fully the many spiritual blessings that we now have in Christ. It only amplifies what Christ has done for us when we understand that we were utterly hopeless before Christ came and gave himself as our hope. But I believe there's a second reason. I believe we are commanded to keep on remembering our hopeless state apart from Christ because God does not want us to accept who we are, who we were, as the standard 
for who we are and what we must become. Let me say that again. God doesn't want us to accept who we were as the standard for who we are in Christ and who we are now becoming. There's a tendency in church to punch your ticket, get, become a member, get baptized, and then check out for the rest of your life until God calls you home and say, Ooh, I got in barely by the skin of my pants, skin of my teeth. I made it. That's not the church. We keep on remembering who we were because God has saved us to become something better and diff- fundamentally, fundamentally and radically different in Him. Which brings us to the second point. We must embrace our new citizenship in Christ. Not only do we look back, but we also look to what Christ has done. Look at the words, but now, in verse 13. But now. Paul doesn't use the word and. He could have said, and now we have this new car. No, he says, but now. There's a radical contrast between what was and now what is in Christ. You had your former, you see the word former in verse 13? We had our former lives and relationship to God, but now our lives are fundamentally different. Did you see the word now, but now? It's not something that obtains in the future only. Yes, we are headed to a glorious future with our God and King, but that future reality, God wants to be manifest now in His church. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where is God doing that but among His church? The place where heaven meets earth right now is in his church. And we invite lost people in to feel and to see and to know and to breathe that there's something different in this place because God is especially present here. We are born into a new kingdom with new ethics, new expectations, new wisdom, new perspectives, and new power for being the people of God. The church is the place where we help one another remember what we once were as we hold one another accountable for who we are now in Christ. In the church, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is correction. We come and we help one another to grow up into the one man, Jesus Christ, that he has made us to be. In verse 13, all this happens in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells us salvation comes in him, which is possible because of the supernatural work of the Spirit in our hearts who seals us, verse 13 of chapter 1, in Christ. We have been, if we belong to Christ this morning, North Roanoke, those of you who have trusted Christ, don't just belong to him individually, a bunch of individuals. We belong to him collectively in Christ because the Spirit of God has placed us in him. And because of this new spiritual reality, which applies to all Christians, there's a couple things we need to know. Verse 13, we have been brought near to God and God's people. Literally, we have been made near with God as the initiator of the nearness to God. Aren't you glad that God comes and places us near to Him? Aren't you glad that nearness to God is not contingent upon our trying to work or manufacture something up? That God himself so wanted us to enjoy nearness to him that he came in the person of his son and allowed himself to be sacrificed to rip rip apart the veil of the temple and to allow us to be near to him. This nearness is unshakable. It's a nearness that has once for all been created by God. And because of that, he himself, do you see this in verse 14? He himself is 
our peace. Aren't you glad that Isaiah's Prince of Peace is our King of Peace? He's not merely our peace with God, but with everyone who names the name of Christ. Here again what O'Brien has to say about this text. Peace denotes well-being in the widest sense. It includes salvation from the source and giver of which is God alone, but it's more than that. Peace has to do with wholeness, particularly with reference to personal relationships. And in Christ, this peace is available for everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, because Christ has abolished the law as a divisive instrument that separates humanity from God and Jews from Gentiles. He has created, I can't overstate to you, North Roanoke, the significance of this truth. God in Christ Jesus has created a new humanity that transcends the former deep divisions between Jew and Gentile, black and white, red, yellow, etc. It transcends all that and brings us together in Christ. This peace is described in verse 16 as reconciliation, in verse 15 as making two one, in verse 14 as creating a new humanity, and as gaining access to the Father in one spirit, verse 18. This peace of God is not a flimsy ceasefire, like between North and South Korea. It's not, it's not detente. It's not a ceasefire in which offenses are ignored, but it is a peace that actually comes and ends our hostility and our enmity with God and with one another, verse 16. It's a peace that is done away with how? Through the cross. Excuse me. A peace that is established how? Through the cross and in Christ himself. This peace, interestingly enough, does not come in our flesh. Did you see how verse 11 started? It talked about how we were in the flesh, meaning our flesh. But this peace, this harmony, this reconciliation, this wholeness, which should characterize the holy people of God, it isn't possible in our own power. It isn't possible in our own strength. It can only happen through the cross of Christ and the Christ of Calvary, who was crucified in his flesh and a spirit who placed us in Christ and gave us the power to pursue wholeness in our relationships with God and with one another. When it says in verse 15 that he makes the two one, it's, it's marriage language. When you join a church, when God saves you, he brings you into a marriage not only with Christ vertically, but with Christ, his body horizontally. You get married to other people. I've had some conversations this week with people who are struggling in their walk with Christ. Some of them have come into my office. Some of them have been on the phone. And I am so thankful for the opportunity and the ability that these people have demonstrated to say, look, I know I'm married into the family of faith, and I need your help to live out and to walk the faith. That's what the church does. We help each other pursue holiness together. And we live lives of reconciliation. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. I'll read just a few verses for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then in Colossians 3, 11, 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and he is in all. If, if God can tear down the wall between Jew and Gentile, which, by the way, in the temple, there used to be a sign warning Gentiles, if you come any further, you'll pay the price of death. But in the blood of Christ, the wall has been torn down between Jew and Gentile, between red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. And my prayer is, North Roanoke, we will be a church that looks more and more like the Roanoke Valley in which God has situated us. But God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. And I Reconciliation means to bring two things together. Now, I had some plantation mini blinds in my last townhome. Little two-inch kind. They were there before we bought the house. It was quite a nice addition. I loved them. But you know the problem with plantation blinds? They get dusty. And I do not like dusting. Particularly dust on plastic that won't come off with just a little Swiffer thing. you got to actually wipe it down meticulously. So one day, I was on my rotation with my baby wipes. Do any of y'all love that baby wipes are better? They work for great things, not only just wiping babies' bottoms. Baby wipes are great. I will never not have baby wipes in my house again. I never, I never had them in my house before we had kids, and now I can't do without baby wipes. I mean, you're, you got brake dust on your wheel well? Don't go buy expensive tire wipes. Just get your baby wipe out. It's perfect. Baseboards are dusty. Perfect. Anyway, that was, that was for free. Um, but here's what, you, here's what you need to know. I'm dusting my blinds, and I'm on a little two-step ladder getting the ones at the top, and I fall down. My elbow crashes into a blind, and it snaps, snaps the blind off. Well, I needed to reconcile that situation. I needed to reconcile the one-third of the blind to the two-thirds of the blind. I need to put them together. You know what I went and found? I went and found my super glue. Super glue is a blessing and a curse, amen? <laughs> I finally got the blind put back together well enough that to the naked eye, unless you put your eye right on top of it, that you wouldn't see that they had been broken. And it was structurally sound. It was working well. I felt confident that the next person wasn't, gonna, it wasn't just going to fall off when we sold our house. But that's not the kind of reconciliation that Jesus has done. That's not Jesus' reconciliation. You know what Jesus does when he reconciles us to one another? He transcends the parts of who we were. And he does more than glue us together with super glue. Because if you got down there real close, you could still see the crack. You could still see there was a separation in there. You could still see somebody has done something to artificially put this back together. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus crucified in his flesh the old man and raised us up in himself, all of us in the new man, making us one man. So it's like instead of plastering together the Venetian blind, it's like he said, you know what you need? You need to throw all that away, and I need to manufacture an entire new blind. That's what reconciliation is. It's dying to ourselves, giving ourselves over to one another, as Christ gave himself over to us, that we might be reconciled to God and put on display the gospel of peace that Christ came to proclaim to us. We see that in verse 17. He came to preach 
the gospel of peace. Peace to those who are near. Peace to those who are far. I, Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 19, and he's telling us we should have expected that this great gospel would not just make us one with Christ, but it would make us one with God's people. The peace that Jesus preaches is the peace that we, North Roanoke, are supposed to receive and to live out as we pursue those who are still far from God and in need of his peace. Being the church who is at peace is fundamental to reaching the lost. When the world sees us living out the implications of who God has called us to be, that we were strangers and aliens, but we are now fellow citizens, verse 19, set apart with others as citizens of God's kingdom, that's when it gets really good. You see, when we become the church and pursue the reconciliation and the harmony and the peace of Christ in our regular interactions with one another, Christ and his gospel go forth. Verse 3, excuse me, point 3. How is it that we can have this peace? You say, Daniel, that sounds great, that sounds awesome, but how do I know? Because sometimes there are situations or conflicts or frustrations in, in human relationships. It just happens. But what is our rule? What is our guide? How do, we, how do we pursue this peace together? We do it by being founded upon Christ according to the Scriptures. You see that in verse 20? We have been built, having been built once for all is the significance of that text. There will never be another foundation of the church other than Christ. The foundation that we have has been established once and for all. And the foundation is Christ, the cornerstone, as revealed in God's authoritative word. That word which was delivered through the apostles and the prophets. In a world full of change, aren't you glad there's something that doesn't change? And that which doesn't change is the foundation upon which we've been built. Christ alone, the cornerstone. Christ as revealed in his word. You know, Acts 2.42 is a fascinating passage to me. It's talking to us about the early church. And it tells us that the church devoted themselves not, listen to this, not to the teachings of Jesus, but to the apostles' teachings. Did you know that the church was founded not on the teachings of Jesus, but the apostles' teaching? Now, to be sure, the apostles' teaching included the teachings of Jesus, but it was not limited to those. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some churches out there that want to say, well, I don't need that whole Jesus of the Bible stuff, you know, the one who existed before creation and then came down from heaven. I just want the stuff that Jesus said that makes me feel good. You know, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Serve one another. I want to do that stuff. But I don't need the Jesus who actually had to come and substitute himself for me to save me. But unfortunately, for those individuals in those churches, that's not the Christ that is our rule and our guide. It's the Christ according to the apostles and the prophets. It's the Christ interpreted in light of the Old Testament. And that's why we do something like have a series in the Minor Prophets. Because we've got to understand who our foundation is. We've got to understand who our cornerstone is. The one on whom we've been built. It's not just any Jesus of our own making or in our own image. It's the Jesus revealed to us in God's word. The peace that God gives us is granted on his terms. It's granted through the hard-won peace that comes through brokenness and humility and confession and repentance and forgiveness. The peace that God gives comes through the cross that he bore and the cross that he has empowered us to carry. Not through kicking the can down the road and waiting for somebody to move on. It comes through working together for a peace that can only come in 
Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. He determines what is straight. He determines what is secure. And the Jesus who paid the price for our citizenship is the Jesus who sets the terms of our citizenship. You see, while the law has been abolished, we are nevertheless under the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 21. A law which aims at our hearts. God wants us to have hearts which prize His presence and pursue His purity. Which brings us to our final point. If we're going to be the church... We must let God keep on making us into the holy sanctuary of God's presence. Satan wants to roadblock this, by the way. He wants to bring something up in your life and in your ministry. He wants to make you frustrated about some little thing. And he wants to sap the power that comes when the Spirit of God is especially present among a people who are at peace, reflecting his holiness to a watching world. We must let God keep making us into the holy sanctuary of God's presence. How is it that gatherings formerly known as churches drift into meaningless nothingness? They neglect God's word. The church does not die in a day, but by a thousand seemingly small compromises on following Christ. But if we hold fast to Christ the Christ of the Bible, look what God does in verse 21. He keeps on fitting us together and he keeps on building us. These are passive verbs that are continuous, which means God's doing the work. As long as we're holding fast to Christ in the word, God will keep doing the work in our hearts. He'll keep convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment and building us ever more into the temple of his Holy Spirit. Being fitted together refers not just to the union of each individual believer with Christ, but also to the union of the whole structure within the cornerstone. You see, North Roanoke, being the church really is as simple as following Christ and getting our flesh out of the way. If we follow God's word and pursue the humility and holiness of Christ together, each one of us may falter from time to time, but we will point one another towards Christ and the one man that he has made us together in his flesh. And we will keep growing together up into the heavenlies, being revealed as the true people of God at the last days when our king comes. And until that day, he will keep building us into the place where his spirit dwells. How does this happen? Look at verse 21. It begins with the words, in whom, and it ends with the words, in the Lord. It it begins and ends and is summed up in Christ. Where Christ is the cornerstone, God keeps on building us into a people where his presence is known. O'Brien, which is, in my opinion, one of the best commentators on the book of Ephesians, has this to say. The new community of God is growing and progressing to its ultimate goal of holiness. An objective that is not simply personal or individual, but corporate as well. He continues, The character of the new building is derived from the God who inhabits it. That is, it is holy. Why? Because God is holy. He continues, What a magnificent change has occurred in the reader's situation. In contrast to what they once were, separated from the Messiah, now they are being built into the dwelling place of God himself. The place, North Roanoke, where heaven meets earth is in the local church as we remember who we once were. 
And as we embrace who we've become in Christ, and as we pursue peace with one another, knowing that Christ himself is the foundation. So what does this mean for us? Let's get down to the tactical, practical level. Daniel, you told me all about what the church is. That's great. I understand that. I've been saved, and I don't really feel like I'm a part of one man. I feel like I'm just an island out there. Well, well, that might be part of it. If you feel like an island out there, let me encourage you to get involved in a Sunday school class if you haven't found one. It's easier to get to know people who are part of the family of faith in smaller groups. We have a small group structure. We'd love for you to come out. On Wednesday nights, I'm teaching a Bible study that goes back over the sermon text, but in, in a significantly more detail, and it's a smaller group. We can build relationships there. you got to get plugged in and get to know people. Here's another one. Maybe you've been around a long time. Maybe you've seen a lot of change. You've seen a lot of good ideas. You've seen a lot of bad ideas. Don't hold grudges over past hurts. You know, it's easier, it's easier to hold on to the grudge than, than do the hard work of taking up your cross and sometimes even bearing an offense in your own body as you let Christ get the victory and the glory in that situation. Here's another one. Get restored to brothers and sisters wherever possible. Not just within North Roanoke. I, you may have moved here from West Virginia and there's somebody you can't stand in West Virginia. You might need to go home and call them today and say, Brother, I haven't been able to stand you for 15 years and it is killing me. And i got to be over and done with it so that I can be a part of the bride and body of Christ that God wants me to be. And here's the last point. If we're going to be the body and the bride and the family and the building of God, just be honest. Be honest. Take off the mask. Take off the veneer. The reality is, in a church this size, there's dozens of people who have some kind of hurt, some kind of heartache, some kind of pain. Some kind of personal struggle. Some kind of sin that you're dealing with in your life. And the reality is, as long as we walk into the building and pretend that we don't have that struggle or that challenge or that issue, the pastor can't help you. Your small group can't help you. Your Sunday school teacher can't help you. The brother or sister sitting next to you can't help you. If we get really honest then we can actually grow up and become the very church that God has already declared we are in Christ. North Roanoke, let's be serious about being the church. Let's get honest with one another. And let's watch Christ get the glory, not only in our lives, but among the nations. Would you pray with me? God, help us to not just assume that we are the church and to run right past what it means to be your people onto doing the things that your people are supposed to do. Lord, I pray that you would impress deeply upon our hearts the significance of our identity in Christ. The responsibilities that you've given to us as your people. God, I pray North Roanoke Baptist Church would be characterized by such a holy unity that, that it is palpable and that as Ephesians 3 says that it, it is a testimony to the, the rulers and the principalities that it is cosmic in its consequence but God the reality is when your spirit's at work and your presence is at work we have an opportunity mm -hmm. to respond 
So I pray, God, that you would give us liberty as we sing to respond as you would have us to respond. There may even be some people who need to walk across the room and go reconcile with someone right now. Whatever it is, I pray, God, you would do it right now for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.